Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Spiritually Circumcise Your Heart and Mind. Obviously a book that has some spiritual significance to our author. My author joins me, Timothy Lee Walker. Welcome, sir, to the program. Yeah, good afternoon. Good to visit with you. Mr. Walker, you have uh, been in uh, ministry, as, at least as a lay pastor or lay minister. This book has some spiritual significance. You have uh, an interest, obviously, in the Bible and things. Where did the idea of writing this book come about? Well, uh, this particular title, um, I've been having a lot of stuff in me for about the last past 16 years, Um uh, and I know a bishop, and uh, he's an, an author too. And he all he writes about is the heart. And I kept saying, okay, well, that's the first place we have to start at because God knows our heart better than anyone. We can fool other people, but can't fool God. And it all comes that God is a heart knower. Right. So that's why I come up with uh, the heart and then the mind. And then the spiritually circumcised, well, you know, they don't do, the Israelites went off from the the physical circumcision, and in the Bible it says spiritually circumcised. So that's why I come up with the title, Spiritually Circumcised, Your Heart and Mind. And that, uh, that kind of cleans away from a lot of tradition of men, stuff that's being taught in the Word, I'm mean, wearing churches, uh, Churches I have visited and churches I've been in and been associated with, um, you know. So I, that's where that particular title came from. So I wanted to knock down the norms and normal, normal things that we hear and uh, and knock down the traditions of men and go straight to the Word of God. Uh, I call it unadulterated. Word of God. You have you have uh, obviously uh, spent some time studying, and in your book you deal with a very, I guess, a hot topic in the religious community in the church world today, and that's prophecy. Your first chapter talks about the first earth age. Uh, the second one is the second church age, and then you talk about Adam and Eve as a foundation for your book. What did you discover in your study of Adam and Eve, and how do you think it's, it's applicable to today's uh, reader? Well, most readers are taught, and you have to go back, as, um, and when you start the book of Genesis, you just can't read it in English. you got to go back to the original language. Um, and then it it give you a whole different perspective. You know, it says, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, period. Well, that could have been millions of years ago. And we know by uh, archaeologies and all our scientists that we know the Earth is billions of years old. And then it starts, and. So the rest of chapter 1, is all the uh, verses start with and. So there's some significance of why it starts like Because, you, you know, in English, we don't start a sentence with and. And, um, and in um, Hebrew language, 
there's really no punctuation. Mm. But but in verse two, between verse one and verse two, there's millions of years that that went on. So uh, when the inquisitive mind wants to know well, what happened between those years, then we come down to the second earth age, which we're living in now, which is the flesh. Um, most people, this is one of the norms, believe that Adam and Eve were the first two human beings on earth. Right. Well, if you break down Genesis, the first three chapters, then and take it back to original language, then how could they be when Cain went off and married another woman? Now, I know there's a lot of mythologies out there that, yeah, well, Adam and Eve had some other kids, and but he went off to the land of Nod, which was in the east. So mm-hmm. there was already human beings here, but the specific reason of why Adam, and I call it the Adam, which is Hop Adam, because Adam means mankind. But the Adam and Eve, this is where God had, he knew he was coming through. Jesus Christ was coming through from umbilical cord to umbilical cord. So that was his special, I don't like to use, say, race, but we can say that, uh, that he knew he was going to come through. And, and throughout the whole Bible, they had to keep that lineage clean for him to come through. Right. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of things that happened, but uh, even what really happened in the garden, um, I, what I would teach, and I, you know, most of the people say Eve ate an apple. Well, you know, apples not eating in. There. Right. So, so what did she do? See, the serpent, which is one of Satan's characters, went to Eve because God never talked to Eve. He talked to Adam. So we know that most, even these days, we know we might put a little twist on it or we might not say exactly what someone told us or leave something out. So that's why he went to Eve. And some certain words that she said, he just played off of them. But the bottom line is, I would teach you that Adam and uh, that the serpent had sex with Eve. Hmm. Now, what I'm still, and I'm still in prayer about a lot of things because uh, Adam was right there. So the same fruit that she took of, Adam did too. So the big question, and I leave it in the book for for the people to, uh, research it themselves because I'm still in prayer about it. But we know homosexuality is old as time. So did serpent? Did the serpent appear as a woman and Adam had sex with the serpent, or was it some homosexuality? Was there an orgy? I don't know. But what I do know is that Cain is not in Adam's genealogy. So if Cain was a prodigy of Adam, then he wouldn't have his own genealogy. Interesting. So that's why I can I feel comfortable teaching that that well if you look at God talked to the serpent and right there he, he you know he told him he said because you've done this then he told the woman he talked to Eve you know knowing that what has manifested here. You know, so uh, half of the prophecy was given then, 
and it wasn't fulfilled until Jesus Christ's uh, feet were nailed to the cross. So there's a lot of things just in that uh, in that particular chapter. Then you know I go down and tell about the genealogy of Cain and Abel, and you got to keep those two lines clear throughout the whole Bible because there's a lot of things, same names, but you just got to keep them separated. Uh, you have 111 pages. Would you say that your book could be termed controversial in some of its viewpoints, but also maybe thought-provoking? Well, yeah, I want people to think, and I want them to think for themselves. It ain't about, well, let me go ask my pastor. I tell them what tools they need, Strong's Concordance. I mean, that's that's a, that's a number one tool that you need. That right. you break just any common word down. From Hebrew, Chaldean, which is Aramaic, uh, and um, Greek. You know, when you can break down just simple little words, because in Genesis two, and I don't like to skip around, it says in the earth was without form. But if you take that little word was and take it back to the Hebrew, it is became, and that whole sentence. Now you're saying, oh. Why did the, that's a question? Why did the earth become void and without form? Hmm. Interesting. So, so this you know we know we had an ice age, we know we got a true north, and we know we got a magnetic north. So God tilted the earth, and that's why we got the different seasons as we have now. And you know we got the ice caps. He capped both ends, north and south, and then he, he just froze everything. I mean, if you can get the. Uh, People just to just go to the library and just just read. I mean, and, you know, he didn't hide nothing. Right. You know, it's right there in the Old Testament. You know, people like to throw the old away. And well, let me just go to the new. No, no. It's all important. You have uh, you have dealt with several subject matters in here, not just prophecy, but most of it, I think, is uh, related to what would be called end time events, at least on your focus toward the end of the book. Is this a book that might inspire someone who is maybe a a, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or just a regular student or even someone who is not a churchgoer? I was I would put them all in the same category. I was very agnostic. I've always believed in God, but I had a lot of questions. And I got tired of people saying you got to have faith. Right. And and uh or just believe. Well, you know, when I give my life to something, I mean, this is my life, but it ain't really mine. It's God's. You know, he can do whatever he want to do with everybody, whether you believe or not. But once you come to knowing that, okay, I'm going to say I'm going to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that means, okay, yeah, I have to have faith. I have to have belief. But the Holy Spirit is going to unch me that way. But like I said, I was very agnostic. Couldn't nobody answer nothing. I'm running around as a heathen. <laughs> Until I got introduced to some other things and start reading the Bible and really digging into it, I'm like, hmm. And then listening to some other uh, teachings and, and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm I'm a type of person, check me out. You know, we can talk about it. You know, I'm not saying I, I know everything. 
Right. You've managed, you said it took nearly 16 years of study or preparation to get this book into print. One of the things that I find in your appendix of, of your book that probably would be of importance to most people would be the books of the Bible and their meaning and time period. The uh, Old Testament, New Testament was not necessarily written in or, or displayed in chronological order, and I'm, right. I'm guessing that you put this in its perspective that way. Well, I kind of tried. I mean, even when you go to the end of it, I mean, uh, it's, you look at John 2 and John 3, that's 90 A.D., and then you go to Jude, that's 65 A.D., and then you go to Revelation, that's 95. So, mm-hmm. so I just went down how the index is in there, put down the meanings of the word, because a lot of people say, well, where should I go in the Bible because I'm having this particular problem. I'm not saying I know everything in it, because I don't. I mean, I'm learning every day, and, and you know, uh, I I learn something every time I open up the Word. But the, the meanings of the book will tell you where you need to be in your particular case. Uh, what would you say is your inspiration, not your inspiration behind writing the book, but what do you hope the reader will get from this? Will this be one that just motivates them, or what, what did you want to achieve? I wanted them to achieve that, um, just like we tell little fibs to kids, and kids' minds soak up everything. So when we use the Santa Claus phrase, then they find out, oh, I've been lied to. Mm. So now... Mom and usually come from mom and dad, the most two people that they trust on earth. Well, what else have they lied about? Well, I want to, I want, I want to drive them into the word. They can dive into the book. It, it, it doesn't cost that much for the tools, especially what I use. I mean, I use a lot more than than what I put in the book. But then just, it's a lot of praying. And Holy Spirit, I mean, I wanted to come out with this book long, a little bit before. But was kind of hesitant, you know, because I have a lot of uh, Christian friends. Uh, but sometimes, hey, you know, they don't you want to not be my friend because of what I write or I don't believe like you do, then that's kind of on you. Right. You know, because God told me to show myself approved before him, not nobody else. So, I, and like I said, it's... it's I had a mentality when I used to teach Bible uh, study, prove me wrong. And my pastor used to say, man, don't never say that. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, because they're going to go and try to prove me wrong. And when this is how I learned, because I try to prove, because things I heard wasn't to what I was taught. Right. So I said, well, let me prove this person wrong. Well, how they come over? And it just drove me in the Word. Well, while I was in the Word, Holy Spirit started taking me a lot of different places. And that's how I start learning, you know. Well, so, this this uh, is a this is a book that will challenge the reader then, and if they are involved in church work in any capacity, they can use it as a reference book, obviously, and uh, they can have their own faith challenged and confirmed, as uh, as you have outlined in your book. The title of the book again is "Spiritually Circumcise Your Heart and Mind." My author Timothy Lee Walker, Mister Walker, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh. Well, right now, they can get it at Amazon.com. They can get it on uh, Barnes & Noble, or they can come to my website, which is TLW Self-Publishing Company, 
com. Excellent. I'm sure that because of the response you've had on this, there may be a book in the future. Is that something that's in the works? Oh, yes. I have um, I have a book that should be out uh, either late January the 1st of February, and it's called The Four Horns That Control This Earth Age. Phenomenal. Another book to uh, motivate us and to challenge our thinking. Thank you, sir, for sharing your story and the story of this book, Spiritually Circumcise Your Heart and Mind. Thank you for joining me today, sir. All right, thank you. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, The Sabbath is Alive and Well. And joining me from near Baltimore, Maryland, I believe, is my author, Uva Shakes. Thank you for joining me today, Uva. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to talk, sharing with you. You're also a doctor. You have a doctorate degree. Share a little of your background history. You sound like you're from Baltimore, but maybe not. What was your original country of birth? Well, I grew up in the beautiful island of Jamaica, West Indies. Spent my teenage years at the foot of the Blue Mountains. We had our private beach and unlimited fruits. But then most of my adult life, has uh, we've lived in the city of Columbia, Maryland. And that is also a very, very gorgeous place with trails and lakes. And um, just a beautiful place to, to live. Have you always had a creative uh, energy about you? Have you always uh, wanted to be an author? Uh, how did this book get written? I have never thought about being an author. My mom passed about three years ago. It was a win- during the winter. We became very good friends as adults, my best friend. So on the anniversary of her, um, of her passing, the first winter was brutal. So God inspired me to write about this event, and it became a healing and consolation process, you know, for me. You have titled it, The Sabbath is Alive and Well. That's an interesting title on its own. I would get from reading the title that there are some inspirational moments in the book. Would you describe it that way? What is the book? How? What's the style of the book, of the writing? Well, the, it's really about um, an event that happened during one of my... Um, during one of my... Well, how should I put it now? 
we have to scratch all that. I'll just relate it, make it easy. It was a Friday. I was doing rounds. I was about to see my first patient. The Friday before the Sabbath. The Sabbath for us is still the old, the seventh day of the week, Sabbath. I'm always very excited when Friday comes because I know Sabbath is coming next and I don't have to work. Uh So I walked in his room and I was about to do my assessment. I wasn't paying attention because I was just, I drifted away and thought, you know, I'll finish my work, get everything done and be out as early as I could. That was my focus. Walked to the window, turned around and I just heard sobbing, sobbing from the other end of the room. Never met this patient before. Turned around, he stopped me in my tracks, great big tears running down his face, and I walked over, sat down, and he kind of whispered, I had back surgery last week. The surgeons indicated I'll never walk again. Um, Mm. The question that stopped me cold was, what can you do for me? For a second there, I lost my bearing. I just took myself to a different place, but I, one of the strongest tenets of our um, childhood was my mom's faith in God. Somehow that took precedence at that particular moment. All of a sudden I said, there is no medicine I can hand to you at this time, but I know a God. I know a physician greater than the surgeons. Beautiful. And he paused. And for the next 15 minutes, we prayed, we did intercession. He, I did a quick faith talk and faith walk, and I talked about the Sabbath. So in a few minutes, he learned about my faith. In a few seconds, he embraced it, and he embraced, not my faith, he embraced a faith in God, a belief that if you ask God for something, from your deep down in your heart and you do believe that he will answer you, then he will. That took about a few seconds. With after he embraced that he we held hands and he prayed silently. That was my desire. So that he could be comfortable just telling God whatever he wanted to tell God without me being a barrier. So after he prayed silently Then I interceded on his behalf. Can't remember the details of the prayer, but I do recall asking God for mercy and to give him a little bit more time. And just, he had just started his life. Why don't you give him a second chance? That's all I recall. Mm. I also recall saying to him, tomorrow is the Sabbath day. Then I gave him a quick education about the Sabbath. I would continue to pray for him on the Sabbath. Went about my business. On the Sabbath, I did remember. I remember praying again. Monday, I walked in. He was still in his wheelchair. I was smiling. I thought, okay, there goes the prayer. (laughs) But he he was smiling. He rolled his wheelchair up to me, and he said, I took my first steps on your Sabbath day. Mm. So seven days later, he walked out of the rehab facility. I've had I've had people ask me if miracles do happen today. That certainly accounts for a miracle that medical science had nothing to do with, it sounds like. No. You're right. You're right. 
And and were there other incidences where you've seen the hand of God at work in your life as an extension of your uh, of your profession? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I have I have prayed with. I remember one scientist. He was working on a virus, and somehow he contracted the virus, and he was in the prime of his life. And I remember spending some a very quiet moment, you know, interceding, interceding together with him to God, asking God for mercy, for grace, for deliverance. I also saw my family member who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and another friend with terminal cancer. And after we interceded, on, you know, on their behalf, they both were so lifted up that they're now in remission. Amazing. There are countless times, and I didn't, I didn't see that. It took a while to see that as a gift, but now I've gotten to a place, as I'm a little older, now where I realize that, <laughs> looking back, everyone that I've interceded on their behalf, I'm not saying it in a bold way. I dare not. I'm saying it with humility. Every single one that I've prayed for and interceded for, they're doing well right now. That's an amazing testimonial for not only your faith, but also the contents of your book, because the style, just for my listeners' sake, is so uh, so poetic in the way that you have uh, you have approached different sub- subject matters. It almost could be called a devotional book. Would that also be a possibility with what you've written here? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I can see different ages. Let's look at the age groups that would benefit. I can see children just starting out, you know, in their trust walk with God. This would just light up their understanding with such a practical demonstration. I can see maybe teenagers, young people embrace it by faith, you know, that God still lives and is interested in their affairs, and they like to see something practical. I can see others maybe in the middle of their life. It could be a turning point like it was for me in their faith experience. And older, like the elderly, this could be a reminder of a faith long embrace, remembered, yes. and come alive again. You've, you've managed to, uh, to write this in a, a short read, uh, 76 pages, and yet it's one that uh, individuals or readers could go back to page one or the first, the first uh, poem that you have shared. Uh, did it take long to complete and get to the to the publisher? No, I. It took about two or three months because once I started writing, remember it was supposed it was God inspired me to do this as a distraction. I was mourning. It was my winter. Of grief. So once I sat down, I'd sit down every day after work. I'd come in, sit at the um, computer, and just start writing. And I would be taken away, completely taken away. And I would just write for three or four hours nonstop for about two months. You've done a wonderful job. Is this effort uh, this inspiration to write has it continued are you still writing and uh, do you have something else that may come out in the future to share with the audience this has 
triggered. This was a trigger, really, and I call it an appetizer. I I started writing a complete biography of my mother. I didn't realize how intense her faith was. I didn't realize how deep her um, she read. She was an avid reader. I didn't realize the extent of her um, intellect until after she passed and I looked through and I saw her writings and I listened to the messages she left on my phone. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I had to endow her and I gave her tributes. It's almost like <laughs> the Nobel Prize prize for, for writing, for music, for mm. faith. Yes, yeah, so I have that work I just started, which will be about maybe three or four times the size of this, because of the depth of her life. This book, the title itself is unique. Are there other books that are poetic in nature that may address this subject matter? And if so, tell me about them. And if not, how is this book different from others in the marketplace? It is light, very short, and it simply, simply takes us back to a time when Jesus walked the earth restored every single life he touched. He, it was 100 for 100. Mm, beautiful. He's the, same, he's the same God today. If we take anything away from this book, we take one thing. The same, the same way he restored every life he touched then by yeah. faith. He can do the same thing right now. Beautifully put. All right, Uva, since you have finished this book, have there been any other things that have happened that have been a confirmation that your book is a blessing to others? One in particular comes to mind. I was in church. There was a young man who was about to have possibly the same back surgery. So the, the minister um, petitioned the congregation for those who thought the, a prayer intercession would help. And he just wanted people who strongly had that belief. If you did not believe, then remain in your seat. So about seven of us walked up to the front. I had one of my books with me and we prayed and we interceded on his behalf. After the prayer, I went to him individually and I handed him the book and I said, before today is over, read and believe and make sure when you're through with that, you intercede, to, you know, on your own behalf. Mm. He did. Months later, I saw his girlfriend in the store, and she showed me her ring. He had gone through the surgery, 100% restored, and the wedding is next spring. Wow. Great story. Great story. Again, the title is The Sabbath is Alive and Well. My guest author, Dr. Uva Shakes. Uva, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Author House. Thanks so much. And is it possible that you have a, a website or a fan page uh, started yet? Not yet. Not yet, but it's coming. I think it will be there. <laughs> Let me spell your name and uh, so people can also uh, secure any future books under your name. Uva spelled U-V-A. And Shakes yeah. is S H A K E S. Uva, thank you Absolutely. for joining. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. This was inspirational. 
Thank you so much for allowing me to share today. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, It's Better to Have Loved. And joining me from near New York City in the United States of America is author Janice Jones-Adams. Janice, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jay. Well, it's a pleasure visiting with you. This is uh, being recorded in the wintertime, so I'm assuming you are uh, enjoying a little bit of that winter chill that's coming your way. Yeah, just a bit. Just a bit. We had some snow... um uh, a couple of days ago, but nothing enormous. Nothing, nothing enormous. Your book, uh, you have, uh, uh, tell, tell my listeners a little of your background. Uh, you have a, a degree in, is it sociology or uh, counseling? What, what, uh, what is your... Yeah, that, that's correct. I, I have a, um, a master's degree in uh, social work. I've been in social work for the last 30 years, and then once I went to um, get my master's, um, I just kind of moved up onto the administrative level and um, now on a director level of a youth employment program. Oh, fabulous. That's a, definitely a needed career uh, path for uh, a lot of people that, that need assistance in that, that area. They need guidance. Your book title is unique, The Better It's Better to Have Loved. Uh, most people would, uh, from that put their own tagline on that is it better to love than to have lost or not not to have loved was there an additional phrase that also came with that or was it just that phrase it's better to have loved was that what stuck in your mind as a title yeah i kind of went through a couple of of, um titles but because of the premise of the book um i just felt that you know it's better to have loved is is just says it all well you know instead of not taking a chance, you know, just believing in God and, you know, taking a chance is better to, to, to go forth and, you know, experience some of God's love through His people. Well, this is, uh, again, your your title is sort of brief, and you've explained it well. You also have a relatively short read. It's uh, under, what, 70 pages or so, and right. uh, it tells really your story. Is it only a reflection of your story or is there some fiction involved in in what you have accounted for here well actually it's mostly um my story um it came about because um i was when i was actually i live in new jersey and i was commuting to new york 
And um, I was kind of afraid of that big city of, of New York because, of, unfortunately, because sometimes the media have such a negative connotation there. That's true. So um, any time that I would travel to New York with one of my best friends who was like my protector, you know, I was kind of afraid. But then I wanted to kind of broaden my horizons and, and work in New York, you know, a better life. Right. And um, once I... Um, started to go over um, to New York, I found that it wasn't as scary as I initially thought. And um, there's a famous park in New York, um, Bryant Park, which was um, rehabilitated, mm, I want to say maybe over 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, it was such a quaint area where people come together and just enjoy life and a lot of activities that went on. Um, in the park, and I'm an advocate um, chess player. I've been playing chess for a long time, mm. and I met this uh, stranger in the park, and um, eventually um, we sat down and played chess, and uh, throughout the book you'll see where I had some apprehensive and, you know, kind of like... Um, kind of a little scary to get into a relationship and that's how we actually began a relationship well brian brian park is is that not in the middle of manhattan sort of uh it, it's it's closer to to down what uh, the middle middle section of new york city no it, it's right in um midtown where the ball drops yep that's it <laughs> everybody see the ball drops there what's well, a beautiful yeah. little park you also have uh highlighted or focused on 9-11 that had some significance in your life and in your story Absolutely. That was a time, um, maybe about a week after the Twin Towers was attacked and the suicide mission and everything, that's when I actually um, met this stranger in Bryant Park. And it was um, really significant because there was a lot of protesters that um, was basically saying that the president at that time knew that it was coming and then, you know, it was protesting against, you know, being in a war and all those type of things. And I was um, actually having a cup of tea with um, Dao, um and he got kind of like excited about the whole thing. And, and that conversation, you know, arose, and it, it was a really good conversation about, you know, 9-11 and everything that had occurred at that time. Now, who is Daoud in your in your novel? Okay, so Daoud is the person that is the stranger that I met and took a chance on um, loving. Is that, his, is that him smiling on the front of your cover? Yeah, so on the front of this cover, you'll see myself and Dao with the chess set. And the chess set is significant because that's how we began um, our relationship. And it blossomed into something more than just a friendship, from what I have uh, read in your book. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So um, over, over, I'll say over a period of time, we started to... Um, um, see each other and then dating and so forth. And it was one of the parts in the, the book which still kind of like strikes me um, as we was leaving the park because he usually walked me to Port Authority and I would um, uh, come on to Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I was walking down the stairs one day and I just heard this voice saying that um, you're going to marry this man one day. And 
I remember specifically telling my friend Barbara, I really don't like him. I'm kind of scared of getting into a relationship. But that's kind of like stuck in my head. I'm like, where would I come from? Was that God speaking to me or what's that all about? So it was it was definitely significant because eventually we we did get married and um I want your listeners to actually read the book because it's a kind of surprising ending. Aha. Aha. Yeah. So what is yeah. the what is the this is your first novel, first written uh, piece that's been published that I'm aware of. What how long have you had the desire to be an author or was this a, a, an outcropping of a desire or was it just something you felt you needed to do to share your story? So it was a desire when I was a little younger. I loved to write. I always did well in English, but I never actually took the time to sit down and, you know, go through the whole process. Um, but then when I um, met, when I met Dao, I began to chronicalize or journal um, our relationship um, over. Oh my gosh, um, over. Mm, 10 to 12 years of our relationship so mm. I always had this writing spirit and then when I had any issues or I wanted to kind of express myself I put it on paper and then um, once um, I, I decided look I'm going to go ahead and write this book because I wanted to kind of like honor him so what I did was I took um, all my journals and I developed it into a book and with the help of Author House I was able to publish as the first-time author. Well, congratulations. How long did it take in in its finality to get to the publishing stage? Was it a 10-year journey, as you've mentioned, or was it less? No, the, actually, the, the journal was kind of like a 10-year of writing, you know, my experiences with, um, with Dao. Um, however, I would say once I contacted Author House, it must have been about six months before it came to fruition. And looking back over the contents of your book, what do you think the reader will take away from it besides enjoying the journey with you? Is there an underlying moral to the story, or is there an underlying message that comes through? Yeah, it's a couple of things. I just want people to, you know, just sometimes in your own fear, just put yourself aside and just trust and believe in God that he's going to just carry you through. Because usually if God puts you in a place or sends somebody to you, he's going to make sure that you're going to be all right. And even if you do have some setbacks or some challenges, you just trust and believe in God and everything will be okay. Um, also, there's um, in the book, um, you know, it also is about... Um, middle-aged women, single women who's looking for love and, you know, kind of have that fear of love, but um, just stepping out on faith and, and just believing in God, no matter what the circumstances that you could believe in God. And the other part I wanted um, to um, express is that... Um, it talks a little about a little bit about the grieving process, like when you live lose a loved one and the stages of, of grieving and how you know people grieve differently. And I'm just hoping and praying that people can read the book and then understand.
saying that you trust in, in God, but also get some good information out of it about the grieving process. Janice, many of my authors who write stories about their lives uh, have been impacted by their early life, uh, you know, childhood. Is there anything included in your book or anything in your early life that may have uh, given you motivation to write this? Yes, it is. So as I grew up in um, North New Jersey, I had a lot of mentors who guided and shaped and helped me shape my life. Of course, one of them was my my mother's sister, Lincoln Holden. Um, She kept us in church, and now I attend the Greater Abyssinia Baptist Church in uh, North New Jersey. And during my teenage years, as I helped teenagers along the way, um, I, like I said, I had a lot of uh, mentors, but there was um, a home, a house right next door where neighbors, teenagers used to kind of hang out in a safe space. And in this house, this you know, we played various games, and there was beautiful parents, and um, they. Um, had like in the attic actually they had games for teenagers and I appreciate them doing that because it kind of you know keep you on a straight and narrow and you know not getting into the wrong type of things and that's where I learned to play chess so in that connection for the chess that's how I met Dao and that's how we eventually came to the book is better to have loved that's phenomenal, and I uh, I understand the importance of parental guidance and, and senior leadership like you have described. That is a wonderful gift they have extended to you. Absolutely. It's a blessing because um, dealing with the youth of today, we still need that. They need that guidance. Even if they don't know it right then and there, they need that guidance. You know, you can't actually... Um, force them to do anything, but I believe in my heart that you just plant the seed, and then as I, similar to as I growing up, when seeds was planted, in my mind, I could kind of go back to it and be saying, oh, that's what they was talking about. So I'm just planting the seed in the young people's mind and helping them learn employability skills and place them in job internships and just keep them and guide them into the right direction, because Coming out of these streets of New York, there's a lot of challenges they have to go through. And so it's just my little bit of, my little bit of giving back to our, our community and just trying to help as much as I could with God's help. Well, you have been given a great gift and are sharing it, so thank you for doing that as well. The title of the book, again, It Is Better to Have Loved, my author, Janice Jones-Adams. Janice, my listeners need to get a copy of your book. How do they do that? So they could just go to um, the web and just put in Janice Jones Adams, and it'll pop up. Or either you could go to Author House um, and then uh, Amazon. Amazon as well. Excellent. They can also go to their local bookseller, and if they choose to, can order it in there. The title again is the. It is. I'm sorry. It's better to have loved. The author, Janice Jones Adams. Janice, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Uh, there is there a, a book in the future, or is this uh, it for now? Well, we're looking to the future. I have a. Um I'm looking to the future. Um, I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not, and I'm going to just trust God. But I have a granddaughter. Her name is Ayana, and she's a teenager. And we're looking at 
um, different perspectives from a teenager's, you know, to um, middle-aged woman and looking at the generation gap on so many different social issues. So we're kind of looking towards that. That's, I think, a great idea also. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. Okay. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.